Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's 321Go with Cosmo Macero, then an interview with Brett Ahrens from Market Watch on the ongoing troubles facing the newspaper industry. And in two minutes with Tom, we talk about the recent tragedies in El Paso and Dayton. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, the tiny home movement is surging. But do tiny homes really lessen the environmental footprint of their occupants? The answer may not surprise you at all. And the hometown advantage for local Boston ad agencies pitching local business, it may be vanishing. We'll discuss. And the latest evidence is in, it is still completely unacceptable to remove your shoes and socks on an airplane. We'll discuss this important travel advisor. Joining me here on 321GO is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA On Air. All right, Kyan, let's talk about the tiny homes movement, media coverage, TV shows. HGTV. Uh, HGTV. Uh, by the way, HGTV, one of my favorite networks, by the way. Phenomenal well, network. Love it, love it. Yeah. We can have um, a whole episode on that. Uh, driving the interest in the tiny home movement, um, homes generally under 400 square feet. I mean really tiny. I mean, you know, these, these things are small. Um... And the idea is to reduce your footprint overall. I think, depending on the scenario, it should reduce your housing cost. Um, That's the idea. I mean, it's not wicked cheap to build a a nice tiny home, but uh, I think you're reducing your overall housing cost, depending on where you're putting these things. So uh, Maria Sexton Saxton, uh, did a piece for Fast Company. She actually did an envir- her doctorate in environmental design and planning, and she, and she did a study on, okay, well, really what... What about the impact, or what about um, the reduction in your footprint um, if you live in a tiny home? And, and the findings were very interesting. I got to say, I did not find them surprising. No, not and what were they? Not shocking. Um, so it's about half, right? I think it's forty-five percent. the The footprint was reduced by about forty-five percent for people living in tiny homes, which you might expect that it would be larger than that because these houses are like a quarter or the size of these larger houses but i would still say 45 percent is a really hey we need it part of me hoped it was like a negligible difference like people in tiny homes just just like like, like, "Ah, f recycling (laughs) and like doing all this other stuff but it forces you to change all kinds of elements of your life you eat less you literally eat less if you live in a tiny home you eat less i i believe that's one of the findings oh i didn't see that Oh, so well, the, the tiny home living is not. Fun. I'm sorry, you eat you <laughs> eat less energy intensive food products. Yes, I think that also equates to eating less. You just eat better. You, you eat, eat from better. the land. You eat better. Um, you eat from the some land. Of these, I mean, some of these tiny homes. It depends how far, how far you want to go. It's, they do like water tanks, and you know they recycle their. Wa- uh, there's a million ways to do it that would probably make one tiny home far superior to another in terms of your footprint but um i kudos to all of them i could not live in less yeah. than 400 less feet. travel by car motorcycle bus train and airplane less likely to purchase fewer items and recycle they are likely to purchase f- fewer items and recycle more meaning 
they're going to consume less. Well, right? because they have no space less. for it. There's no space for it. <laughs> this study says that um, if just 10% of Americans just, if 10% of Americans so downsize to a tiny home, you know, 30 million people um, or whatever that no might be deal. of households, um, we would create 366 million acres of biologically productive land or could be saved. I guess that means we could... What does that mean, biologically uh, productive uh, land? Like gardening? Well, yeah, food production. Well, oh, okay. I, you know, I, I don't believe that... There are food deserts in, in America. I don't think there's a, a food shortage. There's a, there's a food distribution problem here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, pretty fascinating stuff. Bottom line... Tiny homes do equal significantly smaller individual footprints. Can we make a call out to anyone who's listening that has either stayed in or lived in a tiny home? Please let us know. I'd love to do that. Let's I would do love that. To Let's hear make from a call them. out. Yeah. So tweet at us or email us. A dirty walk find... up in Austin Brighton does not count, though. No. No. <laughs> a small apartment in the city does not work. But if Got you it. have been part of a tiny home movement, we want to hear from you. All right, Kyan, let's talk about the advertising business. You know, when I was a journalist um, in Boston about 20 years ago, early on in my uh, uh, Boston journalism career here, I covered advertising for a period of time. It was still a little bit, I don't know if I call it the heyday, but... There was tremendous competition among big ad agencies, and there was a lot of um, uh, major campaigns created out of here, out of here this, in the city of Boston. I think there still is, but John Chesto in the Boston Globe this week has a pretty interesting story that indicates that the sort of hometown advantage of a local agency uh, is is. Uh, has, has been dissipated when when pitching local business. He says Boston companies typically would hire Boston-based advertising agencies, but being local is no longer that big of an advantage. There's not real hard statistics, but that's the trend as identified by ad executives, um, uh, an expert named Rick McKenna who runs a brand consultancy. Media, the Internet, has completely changed the perspective, um, and I think some of the same dynamics impacting uh, the, the world of, uh, of journalism and media and how people communicate and, and public relations is absolutely influencing uh, the ad agencies also. I mean, it's kind of sad when you think about it because there's something about that brotherhood of being from the same city or the same you know region and supporting one another. We have a client that believes really heavily in that in a number of ways. Um, they're a manufacturing company, so it's a little bit different. But the world is just increasingly becoming more global at your fingertips. You can do Skype and Zoom calls and meetings, and you don't necessarily need to be in the same place anymore. And that opens up the possibilities, which before can be a we, challenge. Before we just, <clears throat> you know, I'm, a, <clears throat> I'm always uh, reticent about uh, Zoom meetings and, uh, and, and video conference calls, but before we sat down to record here, I, I did a Zoom conference, and I was like, you know what? This really is... An enhancement over your typical conference call. A conference call is very limiting. But it's more efficient than a meeting. Oh, definitely. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? It, like, get, get up and you drive and you go and who knows how long. So while Boston companies might not be hiring Boston ad agencies because they have more global options at their fingertips now, whether national or international, it goes, for, goes in the reverse, right? Now, all these other companies 
could be looking at Boston ad agencies that Absolutely. never were before. Absolutely. I could be a, 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 a potential client in Battle Creek, Michigan. And I'm like, Battle I Creek. love this I love this agency in Boston. Yeah, that you would not have normally looked at before. Battle Creek, Michigan is a real place. It's an important place <laughs> in American history. Okay? I, I'm with home you. Of, I believe it's the home of, of the Kellogg's uh, Cereal Company. And hey, as a consumer of a lot of cereal in my house, I totally respect that. But it is. So I think back to the back to the focus is does it matter if you're losing your local companies if you're picking up non-local companies? I wonder like at the end of the day is it a wash for them? I do and is it and is it is it a very parochial equation? Oh, you know, Boston companies no no longer using Boston ad age. Well, well big deal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's the way, interesting. And the way ad agencies and uh, John talked about this in the story is like the rise of the quote in-house agency. So many more big companies now just have their own internal Absolutely. marketing teams. Hey, wait a second. And maybe, we need to look, maybe we need to turn, look in the mirror though. How excited would we be if there was a trend that local companies were not using local PR agencies? Yeah. That's a problem. That would be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, we don't like that. Yeah. All, All right, right, let's keep that parochial <laughs> thing going, guys. All right. <laughs> All right, Cayenne, air travel, one of my favorite topics. So, And I, I'm a very self-conscious traveler. I'm a, ve- I'm a big person. And when I sit down next to a stranger, I know I, w- I want to do everything I can to make them as comfortable as possible. So I fold my arms. I'm very co- conscientious about things like that um, and, and other things. Uh, air travel, it, it's, it's, it's not really that pleasant. You know, it's no. not it's not a fun experience, more or less. Your ears pop, your, it smells, oh, the air is stale, it, it, you're it, dehydrated. It smells. <laughs> yes, it does when people have nasty food. And God forbid, who would take... So a couple weeks ago, there was a, there was a, a, the most politely worded um, a set of talking points. That, you know, it was a flight attendant say, nine things not to do on an airplane. Yeah. And like number three was... Think twice before removing your shoes and socks. And I'm like, think twice? Are you kidding me? <laughs> think twice? Don't ever even think about it. Lo and behold, this week, uh, Chris Muth in the Boston Globe does a piece on this, and there's shocking new video. Oh, it's of, so of disgusting. The most awful, disgusting display of bare feet in all types of inappropriate situations on an airplane. Yes. It's unacceptable. Yes. I hate feet. I have a real problem with them. I have my whole life. So that's number one. The picture I mean, with I mean, that story, I couldn't a, even look at. A, I had to scroll right through. A necessary part of the human anatomy. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's I mean, not we, like they, it's your, it's they like, get us around from place to place. It's not your appendix or your, or your teeth. <laughs> appendix. You know. However, the thing about air travel, to your initial point, is we all need to remember that we are sharing very close personal space with each other. And recycled air. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds so foul. Um, for a period of time. And there are certain things that you just need to do the right way. And sticking your feet forward onto the person in front of you's armrest is so wrong. It's terrible. <laughs> and, this it's terrible. Poor, and this poor person that suffered through it, God bless them, documented it, and then went, viral yeah. which i mean again hey. do you remember the ponytail on the plane yeah. we talked about that like a year ago yeah. 
that went viral too. People have no tolerance for poor behavior on airplanes. Mind nor should that. Cues, keep your feet in their shoes. Hey, I just made a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I got And by the way, also unacceptable foot care of any kind. Like, <laughs> foot care that on a plane. About on a public plane. It's like when you're 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 caring for your feet. Unacceptable. People do it. Oh, Don't gross. do it. So you had asked earlier what I, if I would become hostile. I think that I would take the passive aggressive approach and I would talk to a flight attendant and I'd be like, could you please tell this person that they can't sit like that? I w- if I saw someone a few rows away, I, I would I would like I would, I'd poke my wife and go, look at this guy or look at this person. Or, I, I, I would frown uh, It's upon definitely it. a guy, by the way. It's a guy. No, it's, it's not always a guy. With the feet up on the thing, I'm saying it's a guy. No, okay, but but uh, but but if I'm telling you, if 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 I look down at, and I've seen I've seen videos of this, passenger looks down and there's someone's foot right up through their armrest. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? I don't understand. What's with wrong your with shoe on, that's horribly offensive. Now you're doing it with your bare foot. Yeah, that's gross. I, I'm, I'm, I have the other thing with kids that no. kick the seats. People, control your children from kicking the seat. It's not that difficult. I've got a five-year-old I'm traveling with him that. for five right. years. That's a, whole, that's a whole other segment. I know. But that's the, the whole, it's just, it's the personal space and consideration. We yeah. have to share this recycled air space for a period right. of time. Uh, it's a good one. Be I kind. Talk, I could talk about. Be uh, kind I, and considerate to one another. I talk about all the ways that air travel is, is absolutely uh, maddening. But all right, kind. That's a good one. Thank you. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321GO. Our program is recorded in Studio 108. Just off the historic Tip O'Neill room at our offices in Government Center, downtown Boston. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masilla. That's it for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Brett Ahrens. All right, up next here on OA On Air, we're joined by Brett Ahrens, columnist for Market Watch, longtime journalist, to talk about this blockbuster media deal this week. Brett, welcome back to OA On Air. Roughly a $1.4, $1.38 billion deal with Gatehouse Media acquiring Gannett. That's the owner of USA Today. Everyone knows what that is. Acquiring Gannett in a blockbuster deal. They will retain the Gannett name, the better brand name, but there is so much to this story in terms of how it impacts local journalism, literally across America in almost every state. Um, not, not to mention how it impacts those individual companies. What do you think? Right. Well, look. I mean, the first is you got to be careful about the numbers we put on this because um, the stock is in <laughs> the stock is in free fall. As we sit here today, <laughs> so, yes. So it's like it's like one of those. Um, you know, you, it's, it's like one of those ads where the guy is putting stickers on it saying, no, it's not $1.4 billion, it's $1.3 billion, it's $1.2 billion, it's $1.1 billion. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Um, the, the and by the way, what are they, when, they talk, when they say in, in part financed with new private equity debt. Yeah, yeah this is all, you know, this is, look. <laughs> Wait a second, explain that. <laughs> this is, well, it's, it's basically... Um, you know how the, the the great white sharks have been down on Cape Cod. Yes. This is basically this is basically similar with journalists and local papers as the seals. Yeah. In, in the story, or maybe the swimmers. So basically, um, it's a quotes merger which is going to be uh, first of all allegedly cost savings, which means reducing reporters. Um, 
they you know come up with all sorts my of four new- favorite words in business journalism savings from the merger dot 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 <laughs> yeah I mean, but it's yeah it's it's always the same it's like oh synergies synergies are people oh, synergies and synergies are people from the merger. yeah yes. so that means people that means fewer reporters um it probably it, it ought to meet fewer uh, managers, but it, it never does. For some reason, it's always the expensive managers that get kept on and they have to lay off. Um, they keep the chiefs and they just lay off more and more Indians, if I'm allowed to say chiefs and Indians these days. Um, probably not, but we'll probably give you a, pa- we'll give there, you a pass. There we go. Uh, I'm always in trouble for something. The, um, so uh, that, And then you've got this financing allegedly at 11 or 12 percent uh, interest on this. Uh, that's one of the things I've been reading um, if that's correct, I mean, this is essentially, you know, a... Uh, a I've bought lousy cars for less interest yeah. rate than that. Yeah, yeah, this is, a lever- this is leveraged, and this basically ends up, you know, this, if this doesn't end up in, in Chapter 11, I would be, I would be amazed. Uh, there may be some union contracts in there that need breaking in a Chapter 11. So let's, final, j- just know. for a moment, let's take this at face value. What does it do for these... T- what does it do for these two companies? Is this literally a move to sustain them both into the future? Because both of them are, are, are less profitable than they were 5, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. A lot. I mean, look, I, 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 unfortunately, when people are out of ideas about how to grow a business, yeah. um, what they do is they listen to the consultants who uh, say, well, look, we can just cut costs. And they basically cutting costs is what you do when you don't have any better ideas for how to grow the business. Um, and this is a cost cutting deal. I don't see uh, this as a growth. I don't see this uh, a growth oriented uh, deal. I don't think this is positive. I'm sure they would say otherwise. Um, I think this is a cost cutting measure and you cut costs and you try and cut costs faster than your revenues shrink. And that's basically it. Yeah, I um, we're talking to Brett Ards of MarketWatch. I think you're absolutely right. You know, and and both of these companies have uh, have experience in different states in slashing local journalism to the bone just to maintain uh, their business model. And maybe this is a business that really is is going through a transformation through which it will not survive let in me, the way in the way we know it. But uh, let me just say something about Gannett because. I, there's a great story way back there in the history with Gannett because USA Today was, I, I have always felt, sort of a remarkable product created to address a circumstance, and, and then they found a way to connect with, with millions and millions of, of readers. And that is, oh, okay, we began as, in 1982 as this sort of answer to television news and to the point where they actually shaped the the news boxes, the honor boxes like televisions and, and used color in a very um, sort of early but then innovative uh, way. Um, and then they saw a way in the market to connect with, hey, wait a second. Every day in America, there's millions and millions of people, business travelers. And and one thing they, they can connect to is a fam- if there's a familiar news source wherever they wake up. And that's why it's become... Sure the official newspaper of every hotel in America, <laughs> which I think is actually kind of a good thing. It's yeah. kind of an interesting thing. You could even build a strategy in major cities like Boston where you could piggyback on that. If I was the Boston Globe, I might say, hey, you know what? I want every hotel in Boston to have a globe for every visitor every night. I want them to buy it at the wholesale rate and, and add it, add that to their lengthy bill of charges that nobody will notice. And that's a good strategy. I don't know if they're doing that or not, but I think 
USA Today has been innovative, not just so much as journalism, but, but its business model. Nonetheless, it's a big company. It's in trouble, just like Gatehouse. I agree. Well, ultimately, um, yeah, no, I don't disagree with you at all. I think uh, USA Today was, you know, radical. They, they shook up the news business, and they did a lot of really uh, very interesting and some positive things. There's no question about that whatsoever. Um, ultimately, they're, they're all rowing against the tide, as we know. Sure. Um, you know, I was looking at some numbers. I mean, this, is, this will crack you up. Um, from the government, there are now just 37,000 reporters in this country, and there are 29,000 postgraduate communications teachers. In other words, there's basically three journalism professors for every four reporters uh, in America. And by the way, the journalism professors are earning almost twice as much as, as the, the reporters. So Maybe, you, uh, you, you might not have the number there, but I think there's two possibly three PR people. Oh, no, it's, it's, for, no, you, it's six. six I, it's you, six. you taught us that a couple yeah, yeah, years no, ago. Yeah, no, no, I got the numbers. It's six, six PR nearly, people. It's nearly seven PR people for every reporter. That's off the map. So, And they're, they're also much better paid. Um, but uh, what cracks me up is that, you know, I don't understand why anyone is going to journalism school. I genuinely don't. You know, people say, oh, I think about, you know, my kid is thinking about getting a job in journalism. And it's like, it's like, Really? It, it, I mean, it, that's like, um, I, I can't think of a worse, I can't, I really can't think of a worse business to go into. I'm going to send, we're going to send our kid to college for 80 grand a year for four years and then put him into a profession where he has no hope or no. she of paying off their student debt for 40 years. I'm going to pay someone $70,000 a year to teach my kid maybe to get a job for $40,000 a year. Yeah, it's like, it's, but it's, it's you know the thing is at this point you, you the, the, the short answer is it's an important function of democracy. It's an uh, important mission. It's God's work and needs to yes, be done. Unfortunately, we have a market. Well, unfortunately or unfortunately, we have a market economy. We do, and the market does not support it. There people, are, the, people get their news for free. There are, it's they, crap. It's unreliable. It's toxic. It's true. But um, and it, you know we see this now in the fact the one of the many sad consequences is that um, people are so used to getting lies from fake news that they don't trust professional news anymore. And we also see the point now where the so-called professional media spend half their time writing about what somebody said on Twitter. And, you know, look, um, you know, you look at the best read stories and they're like, oh, so-and-so said something on Twitter. And you think, how is this even a story? Sure. Um, so it's all, you know, there we go. The percentage of journalists pouring through court documents and issuing freedom of information requests, reading police logs, go going through spreadsheets and... and the return it, it, on it, invested it, time and capital is terrible. It's terrible. The truth is you can, pop, you can pay someone, you can pay a kid $50,000 or $40,000 or $30,000 a year to sit at their computer and basically write stories saying Kim Kardashian said something on Twitter and Twitter went insane yep. and it'll get lots of page views. Or you can pay a grown-up who is going to need a you know middle-aged, um, you know, raising a family salary to spend weeks going through a, you know, documents and all the rest of it to come up with one story that will probably get many fewer page views than Kim Kardashian said something yeah. on Twitter. Real quick, silver linings here. Different business models exist and, that, and, and they're being experimented with. 
not saying they're going to be successful. Foundation support, university support. Uh, my good friend Chris Ferrone from the from the Dig and the Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism, uh, a model that's working in terms of with donations and other support, providing the kind of journalism that you can't get at the local paper. And providing it for them, right? You've got up up on the North Shore, Ted Grant, Essex County Media. They absolutely know that their daily product cannot turn a profit. They are, they will and are supporting it. Uh, They will support it, and they are, with other products, other publications that are profitable. Specialty magazines, a golf magazine, things that are not journalism from a local news perspective, but can support the mission of a daily paper in Lynn. There's a lot of different models that are being tried to continue to support the importance of local journalism. And and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, let's be clear about one thing. Pretty much all journalism is nonprofit journalism at this point. People yeah. say, oh, there's a nonprofit model. It's like they're all nonprofit <laughs> models at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically we're saying at this point it's it's charity. It's like, you know, will charity support this? I mean, what I find interesting is that newspaper publishers – um, never seemed to understand that they were in the advertisement distribution business. The, the job of a newspaper is to distribute, you know, the business model is to distribute ads, car ads, whatever. And the, I think they understood that. It's just that there was there were sea changes that they could not, they couldn't. Yeah, they, they gave the product away for free on the internet. Um, they, you know, I find it, I find it interesting. If I were starting a newspaper, I would say, look, um, I am effectively distributing ads. Um, paper ads are still vastly superior to newspaper, let alone online ads. I can't even remem- remember the last online ad I looked at. Um, there's a certain uh, poll aspect. To on- you go online, you search for something, but you're not going to see an online ad that will inspire you to do X the way a, news- a print ad will inspire you to do X. So I would basically start with the advertising, see how much you can you can generate from the advertising and say, right, that's my budget for for journalists. And sure. look at it that way around rather than saying, well, I've got to spend all this money on journalists and gee, I don't know where the money comes from. And um, look, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't even know if there is an answer. We, yeah. we assume somehow this will work out because it needs to. Life doesn't always work out like that. Summing it up, this this mega deal, Gatehouse and Gannett, sort of maybe the biggest, latest symptom of 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 what the issues are in American journalism. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see it's, how it plays. It's out. a cost cutting. It's a cost cutting measure. It's yeah. a defensive measure. Yeah. All right, Brett Aaron from Market Watch. Hey, always good to have you on OA on air. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thanks. Thank you to Brett for joining us. Up next. Two minutes with Tom. Hi, Kyan. Hi, Tom. Five and a half minutes with Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the goal for this week? No, no, it's it's whatever it takes. I hope we're, I hope we're talking about those horrible gun shootings, in uh, Texas and. It's important stuff. Yeah. We will put no time limit on it. I yeah. think it's uh, it deserves all the respect and time it needs. Right. So we yeah. had uh, thirty-one people gone. Mm-hmm. 31 people cities. killed and numerous others injured. Um, just two terrible stories. And we're all waiting with, um, with held breath as to what the Congress of the United States and the President are willing to do in order to make this thing, this type of thing, be eradicated from the American face, the American mm-hmm. culture. Because the House of Representatives has passed multiple 
uh, bills with support from both sides they and did. the Senate. And they're waiting on the Senate to get back and see if they can't do the same thing. And Well, not even get back. I mean, they sent one of them to the Senate last February. So the, the onus <laughs> is really on it. McConnell to make sure that the Senate does get back. Um, I, I think this looms to be a very important issue in the 2020 presidential and congressional elections. It should um, be. I believe 16 members of the House who voted against gun control were defeated in 2018. Um, so you know it's uppermost, along with the economy and health care, mm-hmm. uh, with the American public as to what is going to you know, be uppermost in their mind when they're thinking about casting a vote for all of those federal offices and, for that matter, state offices, depending mm-hmm. on what state they're from. Well, I think people are, people are scared. And uh, you know, Uruguay and Venezuela issued travel warnings for their residents looking to travel to the U.S. Can you imagine? It is unfathomable that our country, people are warning others not to travel here out of fear for their safety. Yeah. If you're, if you're brown-skinned uh, living outside the country and looking to escape whatever terrible persecution you're being, you're being, you're being challenged with, uh, can you imagine having the fear of just because you're brown not being able to come in here, either through immigration or through some horrible, you know, act of, of fate. And if you already live here, that... It's got to be exactly the same. I don't have any school-age children as you have, uh, but but I know the kids are trained today to prepare for a school shootings mm-hmm. or if anything to happen. Um, I know, too, that if you're in the minority communities, especially the minority communities in America's cities, that you're, you're telling your kids, if you're a minority, to go carefully and cautiously and be prepared for anything. Um, it's a horrible condition. No, that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable, and it's, um, I, I know I have friends on the Republican side of the equation that don't think that, that this president has spurred on, through his rhetoric, the hate that is being festered throughout our culture. But uh, the fact is... And he's, 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 he's most responsible for his actions and his deeds and certainly his words. I remember uh, the president, um, President Obama, after one of the shootings, going to a, a church and uh, singing a hymn. And it was about love and forgiveness and understanding and how that comparison works with this current hate-laden president of the United States. That's all I have to say. Well, thank you, Tom. And um, I think we would really, I do want to put in a plug. We'd be remiss if we didn't say, you know, people have to vote. They have to get educated. They need to get involved. Pick up the phone. Call your legislators. Call Congress. Let them know what you're thinking. Yeah. Now's, now's really the time. No, I think that's right. And, and, and I, I don't want to be viewed as just kind of a, an extreme left-of-center Democrat that always thinks the worst of this president. That's, that's really not the case. What is the case is that if people are missing this point, they're not paying attention. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.